0: really good news, the kind of news that might change your life, it probably wouldn't be that someone else has saved a bunch of money on their car insurance, right? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Would it be that you just won the lottery? Well, actually, that's ruined most people who have won the lottery. It's ruined their life. Uh, Maybe a test that you thought you bombed, you found out you actually got an A on That'd be good news, wouldn't it? Maybe you just got the news that you were going to have a baby. Or even better news, that you're a grandparent and you're going to have a grandchild. That's even better news, right? (laughs) Some of the best news I ever heard was with our first pregnancy that there was bleeding, there was a dropping heartbeat, there was an emergency C-section, and Jeannie was taken out, and seven minutes later, the nurse walked out with a bundle and said, here's your son, and your wife is doing fine. That was good news. (laughs) That was good news. Maybe somebody you've been praying for who gets a good bill of health. That would be good news. Or maybe the cancer screen on you has come back, and it's negative. That would be good news. But imagine an even greater news. That the person you most looked up to in the world, the person you cared most about, the person who you depended on, has died and you're crushed with grief. And then you found out three days later they're alive. They're actually alive. And not only are they alive, but they're alive forever. And they're alive forever and they've conquered death for you. So you will get to be with them forever. Can you imagine anything greater than that? I can't. But that's exactly the news that the disciples received on that Easter morning, that first Easter morning nearly 2,000 years ago. Jesus, who had been buried, crucified, buried three days before, was lost to them forever. They were overwhelmed with grief. They were hiding. They ran away in fear. Everything they'd lived for for the last three and a half years was gone. It was all gone. They were lost. And yet on that Easter morn, when they discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was alive, their lives changed forever. So let's look at the story in John chapter 20, first 18 verses. And it begins this way. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary Magdalene. Who is she? She's a woman that was a a leading follower of, of Jesus among the women there, a supporter of his. We find from the books of Mark and Luke that she had actually had seven demons in her at one point, and Jesus had cast those out. The scholar F.F. F. Bruce says this, that if, since she had seven demons, this suggests exceptionally acute mental disturbance in that culture. She was an outcast from society, rejected, mental, as we might say. And yet Jesus had come into her life, cast out those seven demons and changed her life forever, healed her, made her whole. And she became a follower of his, loved him, cared for him. And so on this early morning, he's been in the tomb, the Sabbath is over, so she comes while it's still dark because she loves him so much. She wants to come anoint his body with spices as a sign of her mourning, of her grief, of her honoring of him even in his death. And she shows up, and the stone's rolled away. The body is gone. She's overwhelmed with the distress of that. She wanted to mourn him. He'd set her free, and now his body is gone, and she can't even do that. She's crushed, and so she runs back to Peter and John. John always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in the book of John because that had become his new identity like Mary. As soon as he came in contact with Jesus, his whole identity changed and he said, this is who I am. I'm somebody Jesus loves. So so Mary runs back to Peter and John and they find as well an empty tomb. Notice the next few verses. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. So Mary, in her distress, runs and tells the disciples they take off. They want to see this for themselves. They don't believe her. And they want to see for themselves. They run and I I love the picture here, the account. It's obviously an eyewitness account because you can see John describing, yeah, we ran for the tomb and by the way, I won. (laughs) I beat Peter to the tomb. (laughs) They get to the tomb but John stops and peeks in and sees the linen wrappings lying there. But Peter in his normal kind of burst-in way goes right by him into the tomb and looks around and sees the cloth that Jesus' body had been wrapped in lying there in a pile and the cloth that had been around his head folded up neatly on the side. Now why is this so important that they give us this testimony that there's an empty tomb? Well, it's very important. You see, if, as they look in and they see these linen wrappings... If the body had been stolen by somebody, they wouldn't have taken time to unwrap all the linen wrappings, which were a lot, and around the head, and set them neatly in a pile and fold them carefully. They would have taken the body, linen wrappings and all, and ran out. We're told in Matthew that there were guards stationed around it who had fainted when angels came, but guards laying there, a grave robber, is not going to take time to unwrap the body. That's important because, see, we know from that, therefore, when the disciples later see Jesus, they're not just seeing some kind of apparition or some kind of hallucination. They're not seeing, some, having some kind of spiritual experience. Jesus is gone from the tomb. The tomb is empty. There's eyewitness evidence for that. And because the tomb is empty, we know when they see the risen Lord, it really is the risen Lord. Then verse 8 and 9. Finally, the other disciple, John again, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. What it's saying is that John came and he looked and he believed that Jesus was risen. They hadn't discovered that from the Scriptures. They hadn't understood all the passages in the Old Testament Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, others The talk about the Messiah will live again after he dies. But when John saw, he believed in the risen Lord, that Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive. So there was an empty tomb. But more than that in the story as it goes on, there's a risen Lord, a risen Lord. Verse 10, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot it strikes me that they're all at the tomb mary has followed them as the men ran on ahead and look into the tomb and the men are excited about this they and they leave to go figure out something to do you know men love to do that right Let's go do something. Let's fix something. But Mary is overwhelmed by the experience. The guys miss out because they left. (laughs) But Mary stays there in the experience of the grief, and she's overwhelmed by the sense that this, my Lord is gone and I can't mourn him. She doesn't understand he's risen. She thinks someone's just stolen the body, and so she's overwhelmed with grief, and she's standing there weeping. But Jesus sends angels to her, seated in in white, dressed in white, and seated in the tomb. And they asked her, verse 13 Woman, why are you crying? Really, words of great tenderness. We want to know what's really going on with you. We want to know what's in your heart. We want to know what you're feeling right now. And she answers, They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him in his resurrected body, and she's overwhelmed with grief. And he says to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Simply says her name. And see, she suddenly knows who's, who it is. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, my teacher. It's an intimate term. You see, she's overwhelmed. She recognizes him. She does he comes to her and says, What are you feeling? And and as she finally sees him and recognizes him, she's overwhelmed. Her whole world has changed. I thought you were dead and you're alive. She falls at his feet and clings to him, holds on to his resurrected body. Can you imagine any better news than that? <laughs> He's alive. He's alive. Jesus is alive. Talk about good news. Death has been cheated. Her beloved Lord is alive. Right at her time of greatest grief when she thinks her world is completely shattered, the resurrected Christ shows up. And that's just a reminder to all of us, isn't it, that are you hurting this morning? Are you struggling with something in your life? That's exactly where Jesus loves to show up. He's alive. He's resurrected, and he wants to be with you in the midst of that. He wants to be your Redeemer in your life. And here's something really amazing about this whole story. Mary is a woman. In the Israelite world in that culture of that day, a woman was not considered a reliable legal witness. Not the person you would choose to be the primary and first witness of a resurrected Christ. Not only is she a woman, but She's got a questionable past, mental illness, demons in her. Again, not the person you would choose to be the primary witness. If the early church wanted to make up a story and write this, if they'd made this up, would they have made her the first primary witness of the resurrected Christ? Absolutely not. They would choose Nicodemus and Joseph, somebody who's on the Sanhedrin, somebody important. Not her. But Jesus chose her. Why? I believe it's a message to all of us (laughs) that Jesus loves to use and to reach out to society's outcasts, the ones that the world would not choose, the ones that we would tend to turn our back on, the ones who are most shattered in their lives are the very ones that the resurrected Christ loves to come And give us his resurrection power and change our lives forever. Do you feel like you don't belong somewhere? Like you don't fit? Like Mary felt? You know, I'll tell you a little secret. Even those people who seem like they have it all together, they feel that way too. And we are the ones that Jesus comes to and offers life. Notice the message that he gives her to take back to the disciples, verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, Do not cling to me. Don't keep holding on to me, Mary, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them, I am ascending or returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she also told them, the things that he had said to her. Notice the message she has to bring to him. Jesus says, I want you to be my messenger, Mary. Not who the world would choose. I want you to be my messenger. And here's what I want you to say. You've seen me. You've heard me. You've touched me. You've experienced in your life the risen Christ. Secondly, tell them, I'm about to ascend to the Father. I am going to reign forever. I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father, all power, all authority. I reign on high, Mary. Tell them and tell them that I'm going to my Father who is my Father and your Father, my God and your God. You see, they had seen Jesus have this wonderful relationship with his heavenly Father But Jesus says now, because of the cross and resurrection, you have access to the Father just like I do. You're a brother to me. You're a child of God. And you are welcome to all the rights of a very child of God, his care, his love, his concern, his provision, his power. You see, this is good news, not just for the disciples, but it's good news for all of us, right? Because if Jesus was alive to them, he's alive to us. Today. It's good news for us. He's alive. He reigns on high. And we all, every one of us, can become His children, can live as His family together, brothers and sisters in Christ, all part of the family, knowing Him because He rose from the dead. Just like Jesus came to Mary and said her name, Mary, Mary. Come be part of my family. He says to each one of us, He says your name. He says, come. I'm alive. Come be part of the family. I reign on high. Come be part of the family. Sin and death came in a garden, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And we've all experienced sin and death in our lives. But life, the reversal of death, resurrection came in a garden as well, a garden tomb, a place of death where Jesus chose to rise from the dead. The empty tomb, the risen Christ, is the greatest good news that could ever be for all of us. Why? Because death is conquered forever. Yes, we will die physically, but it's not the end. We have the promise of that as Jesus passed through death to life, we will do the same by our faith in him. So I want to ask you this morning in the quiet of your own heart, just between you and God, no one else. I want you to think for a moment, where are you this morning with God? Are you like the disciples before the fall that I mean before they the resurrection that they were crushed by grief and they didn't believe because they didn't understand and You might be saying in your heart out there, you might say, you know, I could really believe in the resurrection if I saw like they did, if I saw the empty tomb. I could believe. I could believe. But let me say to you that Jesus has given us all the testimony we need. He's given us the testimony of Mary, of the disciples, of the scriptures. And to be honest, folks, you might say, Well, I I won't believe it unless I see it, but 90 to 95% of what you believe, you believe because of the testimony of others. It's not because you've seen it. Do you believe George Bush is our president? Well, did you count every vote? (laughs) Were you there when he was inaugurated? You might have seen it on TV, but hey, that could have been staged. No, you believe it because others have testified to you that it's true. We believe the resurrection because others have testified that it's true. And if you look at the evidence, it's overwhelming that it's true. I knew a man, an attorney, who was a skeptic for 72 years. He said, I don't believe that Jesus stuff, all those miracles. That's, that's garbage. It doesn't ring true. I, I only believe what I see. I cannot believe all that. At age 72, he and I were talking and he said, you know what, as I've read the Gospels, as I've looked at history, as I've seen the response of the disciples who were terrified running away and then their lives were changed and they became martyrs for Christ, I've come to understand, I still don't know about all those other miracles, but I know the resurrection happened. There's too much evidence that it's true. And he at that point heard Jesus calling his name and he gave his life to Christ. He died five years later as a child of God. That was my own dad. You have a choice to, to listen to Jesus' voice today and believe the same if you never have. Maybe you already believe. Maybe you say, oh, yeah, that's old stuff. You know, Jesus rose from the grave. Yeah, I know. I believe that. <laughs> well, then let's rejoice. It's the best news ever. It's life-changing. He's alive. He reigns. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear cancer. We don't have to fear these things because He has conquered. And He's made us His brothers and sisters, His family. He's our Father, and we can live in relationship with Him and we have a home waiting in heaven forever. And like Mary, we can be His witnesses. We can share the good news that He's alive. He reigns. And we all can be part of his family if we'll only believe. You see, our entire faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we're celebrating today. As Paul said, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But he did rise from the dead, right? Hallelujah. That's good news, and that changes our life forever. He is risen, One more time. He is risen. risen Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you chose to come, to die, to carry our sins on your own back, and you rose from the grave, Lord Jesus, as a sign forever that death and sin are conquered. We can trust you with our life. We can depend on you, and we can share that good news and live as the family of God. Help us, Lord, to celebrate you Even now, as we sing for the next few moments, may we celebrate and worship you as our risen Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you. Amen.